0: They were lost for 13 years. So these have been described as the most significant piece of movie memorabilia in history. So the shoes that Dorothy wore on The Wizard of Oz, uh, 13 years ago they disappeared, or at least one of the pairs, and uh, they were just recovered, I think it was last week. So after a tip-off they went and searched this place out and they discovered the shoes. And uh, they're worth, they reckon, somewhere, if they get someone to pay for them, somewhere between $2 and $7 million and 7000000 dollars so they're not bad, and, uh, but quite, uh, quite important in the history of movies that these shoes represent something. And when I saw those, it, it, it took me back uh, to this. <coughs> I think I'm going to click. No, we're not going to click. There we go. That's, her, that's Dorothy with the shoes on for Judy Garland. And uh, this movie is the most seen movie in history. And I remember as a kid, this movie was on like every year. You know, it did come on, you think, oh, the Wizard of Oz is on, have got to watch it. But as a kid, I remember this part of the story. Uh, there's a yellow brick road and you've got to go down it. So you start this journey and, and off you go and there's little guys are singing and it's all fantastic. And at some point, there's a guy who's dressed in tin and a lion. and And I saw this many times, but... As a kid, I must have fallen asleep, and I never actually found out where the road leads until much later in life. So year after year, I'm watching this story, and there's the start of a journey, but I had no idea where that journey was going, year after year, because I'd never stayed up long enough to, to watch it. And I wonder if there's a parallel here with our spiritual journey. I think we're often very clear about what the journey starts like. This Christian journey, we we, we come to an encounter with Jesus and we start this journey. What does it mean to be a Christian? We get it all sorted out and we start the journey, but I wonder if we're not quite so clear about where this journey actually goes. Where does the Christian life take us? Where does this path actually go to? It's fairly defined where it starts, but where's it going? What does it look like to actually follow this journey? How do you live as a Christian? I think that's much less clear than the start of the journey. And my observation, this is not just for Australians. I think all over the world, places I've gone, people are clear about the start of the journey, but they're unclear about where the journey is meant to go. We know that Jesus has provided salvation. We get that. uh, And we start the journey. But where does he take us once the journey's begun? What is the destination of the Christian life? That's what I want to talk about this morning, we're talking about following. Where do we go? So I want to talk to you this morning about the two crosses of the New Testament. And some people might say, well that's a bit of a shock because uh, I thought there was only one and that's the one Jesus is on. Or maybe there's three because at Calvary there's three crosses. But I want to talk about the two crosses. This is the first cross we would probably know about. There it is. Uh, We know about that. We hear the story of Easter. Jesus is executed on a cross uh, at the instigation of the Jewish authorities by the Roman state. He's not the only person that died in this way. There were thousands of people executed on crosses. It was a way of killing people that really not only got rid of the person, but actually terrified. It was such a difficult thing, such a horrible death. Everybody else would be terrified because you knew if you stood up against the Romans and, and you got caught... This sort of thing would happen to you, and that suppressed most of the dissent. People claimed that this Jesus was or should be a king. That's political challenge to the emperor. Caesar's supposed to be in charge. He's the only king. People are saying this Jesus is a king. You can't tolerate that sort of a claim. So, punishment by crucifixion. Not only do you get him... You crush the rebellion and stop people asking questions of Rome. If you were planning a revolt, you knew that's where you'd end up if you got caught and it didn't succeed. That would put most people off the idea of challenging the government. But we look through the New Testament and we see, we see that event, but we see beyond that event, uh, not just a crucifixion, not just a physical punishment, something deeper is going on. This is the sort of thing that's written about uh, when, we, when we read about Jesus in the New Testament, what was happening on the cross. So these sort of things. He died as a ransom in place of many. He died for the ungodly, for us, for all, for us all. He died for you. He died for our sins. He died for all. He died for me. He died for her, that is the church. He died to do away with sin. He died to take away the sins of many. He died for sins. He died for the sins of the whole world. This is constant throughout the New Testament. Not just a crucifixion, but something was happening in the crucifixion that dealt with human sin. It dealt with the separation that had been there uh, since creation, really, or since the fall between God and humanity. It resolved a tension. Go back in the Bible, you read the story, and People and God were so closely together. Uh, You talk about walking in the garden, the idea that humanity is meant to walk with God. That was all there in the start. Something happened, people chose their own way, and they lost this close connection with God. And history since then has been the story of the separation of God and humanity. But with the coming and particularly the death of Jesus and his resurrection, a new possibility emerges that, this separation could actually be put back together, that we could be reconciled to God. Our sin can be taken away. We can be friends with God. That's good news. That's at the core of the Christian faith. We see people wearing crosses, celebrating this idea that something happened on the cross, not just to Jesus, but for all people. So that's the first cross. What on earth is the second cross of the New Testament? Let's read some scripture. Uh, Go to Mark, chapter 8. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Each of the Gospels has a turning point. uh, And the direction of the story changes at that point. So Jesus teaches about all sorts of things up until this turning point, until this moment. Up until here, Jesus has not talked about his death. The first eight chapters of Mark, first 16 chapters of Matthew, uh, the nine chapters of Luke and 12 in John, really. And then something happens and all of a sudden he's talking about it all the time. It's like the preparation for the announcement of what's going to happen, and then the exploration of what what is what this is going to look like in the second half of the Gospels. So Jesus tells them for the first time he's going to be rejected and killed. Uh, he's also going to be he's going to rise again, but they kind of don't see that bit. And notice that it says he began to teach them. This is the first time this has been mentioned in the story. New information. He's not talked about it up until this point. It wasn't on the radar for them before this. They were not thinking crucifixion. Now, Peter, as usual, is the one who speaks up. He says something. He can't not say something. He's not ready for this. He's not been prepared for this. And so he says, no way. This will never happen to you. Uh, So he starts to rebuke him. And, And we get the words in Matthew, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Adversary, you're standing in the way. You can't stop this direction. Peter's thinking in human terms, not divine terms. And maybe for two years he's been following Jesus, maybe more than that. And he's shocked because this is the first time this has come on the radar for them. Now you might say, he's still talking about the first cross isn't he this is the cross that jesus will die on where's the second cross let's go on to the next the next verses calling the crowd to him with his disciples he said to them if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me that's the second cross Jesus is about to die in Jerusalem on a cross. And then he, he, before he does this, he calls people to himself, says, if you want to follow, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow. That's the second cross. The first cross is the cross that Jesus is going to carry and die on for us. The second one is the cross he's going to ask us to carry for him. There was a cross for Jesus. He was crucified on that cross. Forgiveness and salvation and reconciliation with God became available because of that cross, and now Jesus says to follow Him means accepting the cross that He died on for you, uh, but you must take a journey yourself, and that journey must you must deny yourself and pick up your cross. An invitation to follow, and that following means taking up the cross. Just as there was a cross for Jesus, there is a cross for anyone who wants to follow him. Now, at the start of the message, I mentioned the Wizard of Oz, and I'd seen it many times as a kid, and how the journey began, but I never got to, where does this journey go? I'd seen them walk down the yellow brick road, but I didn't really know where the yellow brick road was leading. Becoming a Christian is like starting that journey. But so often, I think what we've done is we've said, that's the end of the journey. Become a Christian. That's the goal of life. That's, that's the start of the journey. We think we've made it, but we've just started the journey. Becoming a Christian is the entry point to this journey, to a life with God. And then after the entry point, there comes a path or a, a place to walk on. And it has a destination. It doesn't matter what your economic situation Uh, it doesn't matter your financial status education none of that stuff matters the christian life is always starting by believing in jesus receiving what he's done for us and it always leads people to picking up a cross for him that's the only christian life there is i wonder if you've thought about the christian life following jesus like that A journey of continually laying down your life, learning to be more surrendered, less of you, more of Him, in order that you might fulfill His plans for your life in this world. Now, I think it will look differently in in the lives of every person, uh, but that's the only way He will lead us. There is no other path than this one. This is the journey we'll be invited to take in our relationships, our marriages, our families, our work, our service, whatever we do, this is the Christian life. Let's read on. Uh, and calling the crowd to him, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. What can a man give in return for his soul? And of course, the man or the his is human generically, his or her. And this is the paradox, that this idea of taking up a cross, of of laying down your life, letting go of comfort, security, privilege, wealth, prestige, and all these things is actually the path to finding true life. That's the paradox. None of us can save our own soul. We can't find life in ourselves we were separated from god we couldn't have life without him and he invites us down this path but when we hold on to our lives we put ourselves first we end up losing our life but when we let go of our lives for jesus and the gospel we actually find the life that he has for us that's where god's life for us is found it's down that yellow brick road okay that's enough theory let's talk about what it looks like in practice uh, i 've spoken to these guys. my kids will know who these guys are. Um, I, I remember going to the airport with this couple with his family uh, January a couple of years ago, and they were going off to South Sudan for the foreseeable future because he 'd been called to a Bible college to teach there. This was really hard for the grandparents because they were they, they, those kids were quite young and they were taking them into one of the most corrupt and dangerous places in the world for who knows how long. Their whole world was going to change because of this idea of serving in this way. Why would you do that? Because you'd started on a journey with Jesus. Because you'd recognize that this journey will mean taking up the cross, letting go of security and comfort in order to fulfill this calling. This is what Jamie said. I had feared for the kids. Whilst it took them a while to adjust, they now love life here. They're able to play with their friends every day. I just walked to the house. It was around Christmas time when I had this conversation with him. And we were greeted by four little Christmas elves running excitedly towards me. They had someone else's underwear on their heads. Now, (laughs) I don't know what that looks like. Uh, But they've discovered a quality of life in the midst of where God had called them That They were thinking, we don't know where this is going to take us, and they've discovered they have a life there, and it's great. Here's another person. Uh, Some of you might recognize this person. This is Sarah David. She uh, is the CEO of an organization called Living Child, which has midwifery training in Papua New Guinea. Uh, I've been fortunate to travel to Papua New Guinea with Sarah several times. Now, she's a a mum in Perth, uh, a midwife, She began to get a burden to help some people in the world using the skills that she has. First night, we we head off from Perth. Uh, We end up in Papua New Guinea, and we went to this place called the Sea View Hotel. Now, the Sea View Hotel sounds wonderful, doesn't it? You've got a view of the sea. Just imagine how wonderful it is. Uh, And all the the pictures on the internet look fantastic. So we look forward, long day's travel, uh, to getting to the Sea View Hotel and having a rest. Now, get to the Sea View Hotel it's just getting dark, there's no electricity, there's no water, Uh, the air conditioner doesn't work, it's tropical Papua New Guinea, it's hot, it's humid. Uh, In fact, the girls stayed in a room and they thought it'd be a good idea to put the fridge on and open the fridge because that would cool the room, right? If you know anything about uh, fridges, it doesn't work, it actually heats the room if you do that. Uh, So the, the, the room was incredibly hot and difficult and you couldn't sleep. Anyway, So here's Sarah, you know, stepping out on this journey of following Jesus, trying to do something in the world, and she breaks down in tears because it's just too hard. And her friend Lynn uh, is crying as well. Why would you do that? Why would you go to a place like that? I asked her to uh, put together, what what did it mean, what has it meant for you to be in this place, to do this? She said, to see what a To see what was a vision become a reality, slowly unfolding before my eyes through the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God that He has for His people in East Sepik province gives me great joy. To know that God is using all the gifts and talents He has given me for His glory is deeply satisfying. To experience God's provision for everything that I need and have asked for is deeply humbling. To share the pain of people who are suffering is truly humbling and motivates me to persevere. To know that when there is nothing else and the obstacles seem too great, Jesus always has a way and prayer is the single most important thing I must do before anything else in all situations. A struggle to get there, difficulties on the way but this incredible sense of satisfaction about what's happening, being used by God in that place. I'll tell you another story, I don't have a a picture for this guy, his name's Steve, he's a car salesman uh, a few years ago, we had a church, we ran an Alpha course, and Steve came along. He was at a point in his life where he'd heard about Jesus, uh, and he was interested, wanting to know more, and during that course, he became a Christian. Now, Steve had a bit of a history. It turns out he'd been in the army, uh, and later on, he, he ran a diving business in Thailand. So he went up after the army, started a diving business for tourists. Been doing this for several years. While he was up there, he uh, he was living with a girl from the village, the local area, and that happened for several years while he was in Thailand. Now it came time that he he sold the business and moved out, and as often happens when you know Australians, particularly particularly the blokes, uh, when they leave they just leave the person they've been living with, they just basically dump them and leave them behind. And so that happened. He he quit. He he left. She got left behind, and. Um, that's what everyone does right but he came back to australia and after becoming a christian he didn't feel right about this situation he couldn't sit well with it so he contacted her he apologized to her for not treating her well he wanted to make things right so he offered to bring her to australia to pay for her to live here for 12 months to learn english not living together with the aim of her making her free decision to be able to say, "Would you like to live in Australia with me?" Uh, so she came uh, and lived in Australia. He was paying for it all. I remember the day it was in church one day. Uh, she was kind of you know she was coming along, uh, interested hearing a little bit more about Jesus, because she knew nothing uh, when she came. And she came to church one day and the person organizing communion had organized for people to come forward and there was a cup and you dip your bread in the cup and eat it like that. Not usually like that, but it was that day. Something had been happening in her because she was she, for the first time she said, I'm going to take communion. She came forward, she put the bread in the cup and all of a sudden she said, God revealed Jesus to me in that moment. That was almost 20 years ago they've been married, and they've had a family since. Steve became a Christian. When he did that, he understood the first cross. He encountered Jesus and the first cross, what Jesus had done for him. But he began to feel uncomfortable about what his life had been like before. Uh, He felt he had to make things right. Gave her this opportunity. If she would like to come to Australia, he would provide for that. When he was doing that, essentially he was taking up that second cross. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Putting things right that have been left undone is often a way that we can follow Jesus and take up this second cross. I wonder what the second cross will mean for you. Maybe there's an area of service that God is calling you to that you've maybe resisted and you're thinking, Perhaps I need to take up that cross and follow him in that way. Maybe there are things in your life where you feel like, I haven't put things right that maybe need to be put right and I need to, I have a sense that it's not fixed yet or not put right and there's something you might need to do to put those things right, maybe like Steve did financially in a relationship, whatever. What might the second cross mean? I don't think the New Testament leaves us an option just to have the first cross. Okay, you all the benefits of what Jesus has done, just take that and that's it. He always leads us to this second cross. He always starts to put onto our heart, our mind, in our in our sphere of thinking, what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? How are we ought to respond to this? How can we live as a disciple, as someone who follows Jesus? whatever cost that might be to us you know the metaphor of the cross uh, it's a it's a a real physical thing but it's also a symbol it's appropriate even though every day is not going to be difficult you know there's going to be great joy along the way there are times when choices must be made is my priority uh, god and his purposes am i doing his will in my life at the moment am i holding on to things My life, my security, my money, my family, my business, my it's kind of self-focused. At those points of decision in our lives, the, the words of Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow. Those words need to sink in. There was a cross for Jesus. There's a cross for you and I. If we choose to deny ourselves, we take up his cross. We begin to experience a new life, a a life of freedom, a life of joy. We discover the fullness of life that God has planned for us. It's not really about great cars or houses and stuff like that. It's about intimacy with God and living in freedom every day, knowing your conscience is clear and you can walk in truth in this world. I don't know specifically what the plans will be for you. You may have an inkling. I can't tell you if God wants you to do this or that, uh, or what the issues are He wants you to sort out. He's probably not going to tell me that, but He'll tell you that. He'll guide you in that. He'll communicate it in some way. Following that direction is following Jesus. Based on the New Testament, this plan is the plan for every person. Whatever the background, age, gender, or social situation, the same plan It's for every person, wherever we come from. Jesus came so we could be reconciled to God. So that gap between humanity and God, the tension that existed right from the start, could be resolved. Our sins could be forgiven. We could be reconciled. We all need that. We all need that plan from God. We all need to encounter the first cross. Once we do, He puts before us the second cross. To know Him, to trust Him, and to glorify Him in our lives on earth. The road that Jesus wants us to walk down is always the same, it always has that sort of a pattern. We encounter Him, we begin to understand Him, and then He takes us on a journey that ends with us carrying a cross. What does it mean for you? Is God saying something in your life at the moment? Has he been laying on your heart something that that cross needs to be taken on by you? Is there an issue you need to put right? That to follow Jesus, you need to go down that track. The plan is not going to change. God doesn't negotiate on this plan. It's not like, well, if I just ignore that, God will forget about it and it will go away. There's no other way to freedom and life other than this way. It's the only way. It's the way he calls us. It's the way he expects us. It's the way of surrender. And it's the way of life to truly experiencing the life that he has for us. Let's hear these words. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Let's pray. Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the big bigness of your plan. That the separation that existed between humanity and God, you had that in hand. And that what we see played out in the life of Jesus, you are working towards reconciliation, bringing us together with you, restoring that relationship. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for what Jesus has done, the amazing thing we read about at Easter time, his death and his resurrection. And we hear the words of Jesus. The way is to take up the cross, to deny ourselves and to follow And Lord, I pray by the Holy Spirit, you'd make it clear to us what that means. What are the issues you want us to walk in? The the things we might let go of. The areas we need to take on. Show us your way. Let us walk with Jesus. Let us follow. And may we experience the life that you've promised. Of intimacy. Of freedom of knowing your will and purpose for our lives, not just in the future, but for this life now. In Jesus' name, amen.